Apple says fake news is killing people's minds. Really? And publishing platform medium crashes and idealism burns. I love that. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's a great headline. I almost want to read it again, but I want to get to the content. This is episode <laughs> 58 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind, underneath, and around the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I am Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom A. Sacker. Tom Apple says fake news is killing people's minds. Hmm. I think that is this personification of minds, first of all. Isn't that anthropomorphism? Does that count as anthropomorphism? If they're talking about part of your body, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I don't know. That okay. that makes that whole movie that that Pixar did about you know inside the brain there. That the whole thing is anthropomorphism, right? That's right. And um, inside uh, out or whatever the hell it was. That's exactly what it was called. So let's go inside out with Tim Cook, head of the biggest company in the world, Apple. So here's what he said. There was a piece in the Telegraph. <sighs> I don't know. I'm in a bad mood this week, Tom, and I'm always at my best when I'm in a bad mood, as you know. Oh, boy. <laughs> and he's calling for governments to launch a program, a public information campaign program, to fight the scourge of fake news, which is, quote, killing people's minds. And my th first thought was, really? <laughs> a public information campaign? Is this 1955, and are we Smokey the Bear? <laughs> In an impassioned plea, Mr. Cook, boss of the world's largest company, says the epidemic of false reports, quote, is a big problem in a lot of the world, <laughs> which I guess is well put, and necessitates a crackdown by the authorities and technology firms. Oh, in an exclusive interview with the Daily Telegraph, he calls for a campaign similar to those that changed attitudes on the environment to educate the public on the threat posed by fabricated online stories. My first thought was, did that work, changing attitudes about the environment? <laughs> I'm not so sure. And my second thought was, wait a minute. So in other words, we are the enemy of this story, right? We are the bad guy of our own story. Is that what he's trying to say? I, I'm not sure what he's trying to I mean, I do love the metaphor, you know, killing people's minds. <laughs> because after all, those minds are so vibrant and alive, walking around, trance-like, staring at their iPhones, right? So That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, he doesn't want to kill them any further. And, and what I like is this idea of this fake, we've talked about this over and over, this fake news thing. Okay, yeah. let's, let's go with this article. The article states in the very first paragraph, Mr. Cook, boss of the world's largest company. Well, guess yes. what? The last time I looked, Walmart was larger in both annual revenues and number of employees, right? <laughs> so anyway, look. <laughs> Give their PR team the credit it deserves, Tom. Look, fake news can only seep into weak minds, minds that accept what they read and hear without understanding the nature of how the world works, right? The intentions of others. Mm -hmm. So fake news isn't killing people's minds. Like every other parasite, it's taking advantage of weakened minds and it's getting its nourishment from these people at their expense. But isn't it true that all of our minds are weak to one degree or another at one time or another? We could all be subject to Obi-Wan Kenobi's, these are not the droids you're looking for trick. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the whole point of that? Oh, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Listen, I, under, I understand, but 
the the answer is not to <laughs> a crackdown by the authorities. I mean, that's not only ridiculous because it can't be done, but it's frightening, right? 1984 mm -hmm. all over again. Mm -hmm. I, I thought we figured that all out in the 18th century with the Enlightenment. I think, therefore, I am. Not you tell me what to think, therefore, that's who I am. So it's well, not about it's not about trying to <laughs> how do you how can listen let's, let me ask you this let's think about a massive campaign what is it going to do decondition people expose them to like all this nuanced communication and agendas of every marketer in the world including religious groups politicians educators mm -hmm. even your friends with their artful facebook postings everybody is sending out fake news there's an agenda behind everything you read. What we need to teach kids, if that's what he wants to do, is we need to teach them how to read this stuff, not to control it, not to well, stomp I, it out. Read it. As you know, as you know, I don't care what he says, that's never going to happen <laughs> because people want to read that. As you well know, I'm preaching from the Tom Asacker Choir book here. Right. People want to follow their desires. They want to read what's compelling and interesting to them. Right. And whether something is true or not, look, we read lots of stuff that's compelling all the time that isn't true. It's called fiction, and we love it. Well, the TV, <laughs> and, TV too. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> we love it. So I don't understand, A, how this can possibly be done to your point. I mean, this whole idea... Uh, he says uh, he said that the crackdown would help providers of quality journalism and help drive out clickbait. How in the world are you going to do that? The reason why it's clickbait is because we want to click on it. That's the he point. says the rise of fake news is a short-term thing. I don't believe that people want that at the end of the day. He's right. They want it at the beginning, the middle, and the end of the day. And they will always want so, don't you think? Of course. Look, he says it's a, the rise of fake news is a short-term thing. Right? He doesn't believe that people want that at the end of the day. If mm -hmm. they don't want it, then marketers won't offer it. That's how it works. I mean, this is... That's right. This is, this is, people say, oh, these evil marketers, what they're doing to people. Look, you're in on it. This, this thing is connected. If you don't want it, they'll stop offering it. That's right. We <laughs> are the enemy and uh, we, as long as we are we and we are the enemy, then there's no solution to the problem. That, I think, is the biggest takeaway here. And what's interesting, too, about this is, you know, the notion of clickbait, which and we've all been subject to this. Yep. And you've seen the things like I have is Elizabeth Shue was great looking in the 80s. Oh, look but at her click now. here and see what <laughs> she looks like now. Right. By the way, notably, um, if you go farther down the page of the interview with Tim Cook in the Telegraph. Oh, there's clickbait you come, there. you come to all the uh, stories exactly like those from Outbrain um, <laughs> in the Telegraph. And there they are, the clickbait right underneath Tim complaining about That's irony. clickbait. That's irony. One last point I want to make about this. Um, at the end, he says, we saw this with environmental issues. Kids learning at school and coming home and saying, why do you have plastic bottles? Why are you throwing it away? Well, Tom, even now, according to the latest data I could find, which is tough to come by, the recycling rate in the U.S. for plastic bottles is somewhere between 23% and 33%, which means <laughs> between <laughs> one and, you know, I'm sorry, two and three, I guess, of every 
of all plastic bottles are still ending up in landfills. So before Tim is so quick to conclude that a big public campaign will work, maybe he should really assess whether it does. It's one thing to say forest fires bad, right? I think we can all get our hands around that. That's different from saying news fake, news fake news bad. <laughs> Uh, listen, I agree with you 100%. He he needs to do some he needs to do some heavy duty research into all the public service campaigns we've ever had, including the anti smoking campaign, and realize it wasn't until they started banning smoking in restaurants that, that the rates started going down. <laughs> You're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Tom, publishing platform Medium, we all know Medium.com, it crashes and idealism burns. This is from a piece in. Business Insider, surprise, surprise, um, a big, big platform with a lot of hopes behind it. And Ev Williams at the helm, Ev, who co-founded Twitter before that, co-founded or founded, I think, Blogger, and is now the CEO of Medium. His brainchild, is it his brainchild or is it a vanity platform? Mm. That's the real question because after the first of the year, uh, bad news, folks. They had to let go of a bunch of people. 50 employees, which on their uh, payroll is a whole lot, and uh, announced that uh, their second of so far two uh, business models isn't working. I know. <laughs> and so they will have to pivot. I'm using the terminology, Tom, the term of art. Yeah, no, they will it. have to pivot to a third. Medium, a blogging and publishing site, gained instant fame when it was launched in 2012 because of its well-known founder, Ev Williams said its mission was to fix what he viewed as the broken world of journalism and create a new model. Anytime you see those words, Tom, yep. that's called a red flag. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> you know, it's funny. So I teach how beliefs are formed, right? So he got, yes. he got half the model right because desires drive people's decisions. And so think about right. it. The desires of these cash flush investors, probably friends and acquaintances of, of his, pumped mm -hmm. over a hundred million dollars into medium. But mm -hmm. the desires of all of the players in the medium ecosystem, mm. they fail to add up to a sustainable business model and give those other people the return that they desire. So it's really, right. it's really interesting. See, it can't be, you know, they call it a vanity project. It can't be a vanity project. He took $150 million from people. Well, and he produced with that 60 million monthly viewers, and um, it's not working. <laughs> and it's not working because he has only 60 million monthly readers. It's working because of the dollars and the investors you mentioned a moment ago, right? It's not working for that reason. Because of the return they're looking for. Because the return doesn't exist. Right, That's right. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> you have to consider all the parties when you start doing things like he's doing, which raised, I mean, he probably could have started this thing out small with his own money and figured out how to turn a profit on it. Right, that wasn't his aspiration. His aspiration was to change the world. And sometimes that gets you into trouble when the world desires not to be changed, which is what, you're, what you mean when you talk about the people in the ecosystem. In his post announcing the, layoff, uh, the layoffs, Williams said the business model medium had been pursuing advertising-driven media was to blame for, quote, misinformation. There's that word there again. again. 
and the medium would no longer sell ads or help the publishers it hosted on its site with ad revenue, and therefore it no longer needed the people it had hired to work in those areas. <laughs> the problem with all this is that a lot of those publishers had signed on to Medium with the idea that that sales staff that Medium had out there selling you know, advertisements was uh, their cut from that would be the means by which they made their business model work. So he's not only kind of disappointed his own investors, but he's, <laughs> he's, he's cut off the people who threw in their lot with Medium uh, to support their own business model, which is the danger in depending on anyone else's platform for uh, your business model, folks, yeah, right? that's it. We've talked, how many times have we talked about that? You create yeah. your own model or aggregate other people's, which is what Medium was trying to do, right? They were an aggregator. Right. And then they that's were right. going to sell the attention. That's right. And they've got a ton of attention and they can't sell it. Because, and, because uh, there's attention is abundant. I that's mean. right. <laughs> right? That's right. And and Ev has gone on uh, to talk about that uh, in a number of venues. Uh, the uh, the model for them, I think, has been more about, uh, you know, the thing was started with longer articles. So the the effort has always been to get, to, to monetize the fact, the fact that people were spending more time with the material, not simply the fact that there were more eyes on the material. And evidently... Nobody cares. <laughs> well, look, listen, if I'm an advertiser, right, and you spend an hour watching a movie and, mm -hmm. I, and I run an ad during that hour, if I'm an advertiser and you spend 15 minutes watching something and I run an ad there, what difference does it make to me? I want you to see my ad. What difference does it make to me whether you spent an hour reading something or you spent 10 mm -hmm. minutes reading it? Well, this is where the difference between reach and frequency comes in, right? Exactly. Because right. what you just described are two, two, uh, two alternate reach situations. We're not talking frequency. You could have a frequency nightmare like the one I experienced a while ago when I was tuning into the over-the-top channel or a platform called Pluto. Do you know this thing, Pluto TV? No. It's an effort to do linear television in a digital form. So it has an array of channels, and there is no rewind, fast-forward, on-demand. It's whatever's on now is on now. Okay. But because of the uniqueness of the channels and the, you know, the, 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 the narrowness of the niches, there might be something that you'll like on there, which is fine conceptually. So I tune into one of the channels, <laughs> and then I see a Heineken commercial followed by the same Heineken commercial, followed time by the same Heineken commercial a third time, followed by another by a promo for Pluto, followed by the same Heineken commercial. Oh, boy. So, Tom, I get on Twitter, I write them a note saying, I can't imagine this is what Heineken or its ad agency right. wants, guys. And they write back and say, oh, absolutely, it's some kind of error. Tell us what channel you were watching and at what time. And I thought, you don't know that? I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> you don't know where you're running 50 Heineken commercials all at once? I need to tell you that? Look at, listen, the, 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 the big brands, you know, they are just railing against this. The fact that they're spending all this money and they don't know what kind of investment they're getting with all this, these digital dollars that are supposedly spreading all over the place. So Yes, that was a big thing with uh, Procter & Gamble exactly. just uh, last week, right? Yeah. That we, we haven't even talked about. Yeah, so, you know... I don't know how you create a model 
where people can get similar content everywhere else for free, mm -hmm. which drives down the cost of advertising. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you keep up with something like that? How do you? Well, I don't get it. Ev has the answer. What is and it? And it's his it's his upcoming business model. Here it is. Ev has the answer. The business model Williams wants to pursue next. Go ahead. Is some form of subscription, Tom. He has told people in the valley. The idea is to become some version of the Netflix of publishing. Now, to your exact point, the Netflix Netflix is not the platform which provides all the stuff you can see everywhere else, what Netflix really makes its claim on is the content you can see unique, exclusive. That's exactly right. That's why Netflix. they're buying original movies and doing original programming. So you can't go right. somewhere else and get it. Netflix, in other words, has hits, and the hits are hits of its own, hits of its own making, hits it owns exclusively, hits you can only find there. And that is not what Medium is. And I think also the challenge that he's going to have is Netflix is kind of four corners. You know, you go to the Netflix universe, you know you're in Netflix. The app says Netflix, the platform that says Netflix, my Roku says Netflix. Yep. You're there, you're within those four walls. Medium feels like just another destination for articles online, you know? Oh, yeah, no, when absolutely. You, yeah, a lot of people, instead of having their own blog, they like the elegance of it, you know, yes. in, what, in, in, That's right. in the original model. So they said, well, I'll, I'll have my blog there. That's right. Williams is also fascinated by the idea of, reader -supported business, of a reader-supported business model, I'm sure he is, known as patronization, one person told us. Mm. Um, let's see, he t had one uh, publication at a dinner he hosted who has a site that says, uh, it's called Wait But Why, it's supported by patronization, meaning uh, posts are free, but it asks readers to make a small monthly recurring donation using a service called Patreon. Urban is uh, the, the creator of this site, has persuaded more than 4,000 people to donate a total of more than $12,000 a month, which is, gives him a paycheck, allows him to hire someone. Well, that's fine for a guy with a blog. <laughs> that's not fine <laughs> when, no, when you've got the all these investors looking for ROI yeah. on their investment because that kind of thing does not scale. Yeah, he needs to go do two things. So if he thinks the subscription model is the way to go with, with text... He needs to go mm -hmm. sit with people at the New York Times and say, how's that working? That's right. And then if he thinks, no, 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 this is donation model, he needs to sit with all these NPR stations, ask them how easy that is. <laughs> and in both cases, what he'll find is, A, it's not easy, but it's doable. B, it involves a whole lot of investment in unique and proprietary content, right? And sales. And sales, yes. The thing you that he to, all those, doesn't like, and it seems to me that he doesn't like that anyway. No, he doesn't like advertising or anyone involved in the advertising food chain. That's quite evident. As a result, what we're left with is what one, some people are calling in the Valley are calling a vanity startup, a favorite label for a disorganized startup <laughs> run by a rich and famous founder. Or you can think of it, Tom, for those of you with... with uh, uh, a good movie know-how, Medium is kind of the Susan Cain of digital platforms, Susan Cain, the opera singer in Citizen Kane. <laughs> you remember her character? No. She's the one who couldn't sing, so Charles Foster Kane basically uh, created an opera for her and was the one applauding at the end of her uh, performance. <laughs> so, here you go. That's Ev Williams. Oh. Charles Foster Kane, <laughs> Ev Williams.
All right, Tom, time for rants and raves. Um, I think we have to start with one we've both tossed back and forth this week. We're not going to spend much time on it because it's not worth that much time. But we've got to give, give ourselves a pat on the back. All right. Because it wasn't even a year ago, I don't think, where Playboy decided that they were going to eliminate the nudity in the magazine and relaunch the magazine, after which numerous news releases were issued. And you and I talked about uh, and, and, <laughs> and unplugged one of them on this very show where we uh, looked at the numbers and found that uh, it was just a travesty. Right. So now, uh, one year later, Playboy acknowledges it was a mistake to get rid of the nudes and they're bringing them back. But they're going to bring back the, the the nudes in a way that's appropriate uh, for the times we live in. Because what's the phrase that uh, nudity? What was the phrase that um, that uh, uh, Cooper Hefner used? That nudity is not it was, said it it was, naked is normal. That's it. Naked, naked is, is normal. normal. Yeah. Complete with a hashtag because we all want to use that hashtag as soon as we get off this podcast. <laughs> Naked is normal. Oh, look, you know, you got your 25-year-old kid, the COO, you know, Hugh's son. And mm -hmm. and the thing that was funny is that I was trying to, like, wrap my head around is he goes, the magazine portrayed nudity. It was dated. But, mm -hmm. but removing it entirely was a mistake. What the hell does that mean? It was dated. I, I don't <laughs> even think he knows what it means. Then he says... We're taking our identity back and reclaiming who we are. No, you're not, Cooper. No, you're trying to reclaim who you were. You have no idea who you are. And that, my friend, is your real problem. <laughs> Hashtag your real problem. There you go. Use that one. Okay. Do you have any other topics? Oh, you want me to? I'll do a quick one. Yeah, do a quick one. All right. So this is, this is a quick one on the dangers of success. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm online, I'm reading. I, I say, whoa, Apple stock has reached an all-time high of $135 and change. And the company's market cap broke like $700 billion. And I'm thinking, whoa, this must be great news, right? And then I noticed that Apple's first foray into original television programming is this unoriginal reality TV show called Planet of the Apps. Have you seen this? I haven't. I've seen the release. I didn't watch any part of the show. Can you watch part of the show? No, but think about this. Planet mm -hmm. of the Apps. So yeah. you got Gary Vaynerchuk and a few other celebrities chosen mm -hmm. to drive viewer eyeballs. And they do what? They tell app developers why their apps will never be used by anyone, right? Now, this is what, this is what I want you to imagine. Just try this. I want you to imagine for a moment, S Steve Jobs is still alive. Somebody mm -hmm. walks into his office and they pitch this idea to him. They say, let's use the Apple brand and our resources to pimp for attention rather mm -hmm. than investing in something valuable and remarkable that demands people's attention. Mm -hmm. What do you think Steve Jobs would have said? <laughs> Right? I mean, depending on his mood, it would have been something along the lines of, get the hell out of my office, right? Now, so Jerry Seinfeld once said that success is the enemy of comedy. I mm -hmm. I'm afraid success may also be the enemy of Apple. 
Well, that's an interesting point. And uh, when I first saw that, I read it as what it's intended to be read ad, as, which is Planet of the Apes. And I thought, man, I would watch Planet of the Apes <laughs> anytime. <laughs> but Planet of the Apes, no, I'm not quite no, so, not so excited much. about no, that. not so much. Yeah, it is a whole different... Va- and Gary Vaynerchuk starring in... Uh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds more like Celebrity Apprentice than Planet of the Apes exactly. to me. Um so I've got a couple, and one I just want to touch on really quick, and I'm tempted to leave it out, but it's just so maddening. I have to, I have to mention. Oh, it. oh the headline it's is Madame Tussauds <clears throat> or some data thing. Go ahead. No, it's it's neither of those. <laughs> the headline is GMA wants to warm your heart with campaign set to Ray Charles classic. ABC's new promo launches hashtag We Are GMA. This is Good Morning America. It's talking about right. So the deal with uh, GMA is that, you know, that's the leading morning show, et cetera, et cetera. So what happens is it opens up on, uh, oh, what a beautiful morning, the video does. And I guess the anchors, uh, it starts off with black and white footage of the anchors greeting each other while emerging from an elevator to the GMA set before turning to color with the message, put some good in your morning appearing on the screen. The anchors continue to smile and playfully laugh while another message, we're here for you, appears on the screen before the new slogan of ABC's flagship morning program, hashtag WeAreGMA, flashes as Stephanopoulos can be heard introducing the show. What? It just, it makes your heart warm, doesn't it? What is this? This is a promotion? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I read the whole thing. Now you're asking me what it is. Yes, it's a promo. Where are they running? GMA. It? On their own network? I would assume, yeah. They're promoting uh, GMA on their own network. But it's just everything you hate oh my about smarmy promos and, and marketing is wrapped up in that uh, feel-good promotion. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, the other thing I have to mention, this <laughs> is just awesome. This is my favorite thing ever. All right. So... The uh, the good folks at um, who is this? Let's see. I don't know if this is the rap. How could it or, be your favorite uh, thing ever? Reporter. You don't even know where it's from. Uh, because I <laughs> I didn't print that part out. Um, oh, it's the rap. So the folks at the rap they gathered all these Oscar nominated screenwriters together and they say, "Tell us the worst notes you ever got from studio executives." Oh boy, <laughs> I've gotten some myself. Let's hear these. <laughs> <laughs> these are awesome. So, so let me, I just want to read these with a proper delivery for you. So Damien Chazelle is the guy who is behind um, uh, La La Land. And uh, his previous movie was called Whiplash, was about, oh, I which, love which was about, about the drummer, about a kid learning uh, uh, to play the drums. Um, so, uh, oh wait, I'll get to that. Okay, hold that. Well, All right, I got that, that one because so I love that It was movie. on Whiplash. It was on Whiplash, he says. It ends with a long drum solo, which was the whole point of making the movie. And the note was to get rid of all that. The note was written out. <laughs> the note was written out, quote, he's good at drumming, we get it. <laughs> he's good at drumming, we get it. Cut the drumming. Oh my God. So here's the guy who wrote Arrival. Um, He said, it was the start of a pitch. I said, there's a spy and his wife. And the executive said, there is no wife. Continue. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. Where do you go from there? That's beautiful. There's no wife. Continue. So uh, the guy who who wrote Moonlight, uh, the note was, so where are the white people? Um, the uh, woman who wrote Hidden Figures, which, of course, is about African-American women in the, uh, in the 
the, the dawn of the uh, space age. Um, she said, I was really excited. I was pitching this thriller with two female leads about espionage. The executive said, oh, we love it. It's great. Can you either change it to incest or two men? <laughs> I said, if you really hire me, yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So um, this one's a little more, uh, let's see. Uh, here's one from Deadpool, the, the writer of Deadpool. We wrote, we wrote a parody of The Sopranos called The Tomatoes. It was all fruits and vegetables in the leads. It was the tomatoes versus the bananas. The note came back, we love it, but do they have to be fruits and vegetables? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so here's from uh, the writer of Hell, uh, Hell or High Water. When I started getting notes, it just starts to sound like the teacher from the Peanuts cartoon. I was in a meeting, I wrote this pilot for AMC, and we're all sitting there, and they're giving me all their notes, and I'm listening, and at one point I say, what the F are you people talking about? <laughs> and they said, they said, Taylor, you have to look for the note within the note. I said, okay, but why don't you just give me the note? They looked at me dead seriously and said, well, we don't know what the note is. <laughs> you have to find it. <laughs> And here's the last one. Oh, God. This is Todd Black, the producer of Fences. Uh, we made a Western called The Magnificent Seven. <laughs> <laughs> and the biggest note in development and shooting, it was, do they have to wear cowboy boots <laughs> and have facial hair? <laughs> and I said, do you not want them to have horses either? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that was a huge note on a daily basis. So there you are, classic, classic notes. Do you, you don't. Did you have anything to add to that? Do you don't. You don't think that that I've I've listen. I had a studio say to me, in the movie is is takes place in L.A. with two brothers, one that one that runs a film studio and another brother in L.A. And the, and the comment I got back was. The market in China is huge. Can you see two Chinese brothers <laughs> doing this? I'm not kidding you. I, I almost started laughing. I thought it was a joke. <laughs> uh, and that has nothing to do with the fact that a movie called The Great Wall is opening this weekend starring Matt Damon. I'm sure that's purely coincidental. <laughs> exactly. That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes, on Stitcher, or wherever. And while you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. You can also catch us at art19.com, Radio Inc., Media Village, Google Play, Music, and TV News Check. <laughs> and I think, Tom, it's possible that we may be on iHeartRadio now. Oh, I think I heard that from somewhere. Oh, oh. Anyway, you can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. Catch up on older episodes at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. Special thanks to the amazing producer of Media Unplugged and oh so many other things you'll be hearing about soon, Jeff Schmidt. Hmm. Exciting audio for media. You can find him at jeff-schmidt.com. For the inimitable Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thank you for listening. Music.